the title of the message this morning is called Your Slingshot. We're going to be reading out of Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10. It says this. Um, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago so that we can do. And I think so often we almost begin to believe that work or doing or accomplishing something was something that happened because of the curse, right? Adam and Eve, they ate that apple, and now I've got to work. Adam and Eve sinned, the fall happened, and now I have a job. But we see in this verse that we are God's masterpiece, we are called to do. We even see this in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve had a job to do. They were jobs, there was jobs to steward the creation, to manage and to master the creation, right? This was something that God had asked Adam and Eve to do. This was way before they ate the apple in God's perfect garden of Eden, there was a job that needed to be done, and he used his people to do it. And so I love it in Ephesians that it's saying that we are to do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are to do good works. Man, we are made right in the image of the creator, right? The creator of this universe, the one that breathed, that spoke life into creation, and we are made in that very image. So we, in our image, are created to create, we have it within our very image to create things, to do good things. Look, Jesus has called us all in a unique way. Man, I believe if the church, the body of Christ, were doing the things that he created us to do, that all of the needs of this world would be met. I fully believe it. I believe we could solve poverty if the church and the body of Christ would rise up and begin to do the things that we were called to do. We have a unique calling. And I love it because we know this, but Jesus is in the business of reconciling people to himself, of bringing reconciliation. Who does he use to do it? This will always blow my mind that he uses us, right, us to reconcile other people to him. Doing what we were created to do on this earth is how we're going to do it. And look, all of us have one first and foremost primary calling, and that is to what? To make disciples. This is something we can't get out of. This is something that if you are breathing in the room today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. It says this in Matthew 28, 18, to 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I wasn't just talking to like, hey, pastors in the room, now go and make disciple. He was saying, hey, people who are my disciples, who are believers in me, who follow me, go and make disciples of all nations. We are called, 100% of us are called to make disciples, to teach people the ways of Jesus, to walk through life with them, to teach them how to obey God, as we too are also called to be disciples. A hundred percent of us are called to be disciples and to make disciples. That is not a pastor's job. That is not the church's job. That is believers of Jesus Christ. We are called to be disciples and to make disciples. This is our primary calling. But I love it because there's also a secondary calling that each of us has. That God has created us uniquely with a purpose for us to do the great things he had planned for us.
There's a secondary calling that is unique to you and to me to do on this earth to make a difference. And it breaks my heart because often I see this, and it's not just in the younger generation, but I see so many people, and it almost seems like we're like walking around in someone else's clothes and someone else's calling, right? Maybe we've been there, or maybe we, you can spot it, right, when it's inauthentic. It's like a junior hire. When I was in junior high, and it was so weird because I was like trying to figure out who I was. So like every week it was like different style and like different weird stuff because you're trying to figure out like, okay, who am I? And a lot of times in the church, we have this. We have people walking around almost someone else's calling. Well, if this is what works, I'll do this. If this is what people like, well, then I'll be this. If that's what's applauded, then I will do that. Or maybe it's just simply doing what's asked of us. We just go here and do that because that was what was asked, and then I'll go here and do this because that's what was asked. And I love it. I was sitting with um, one of my friends once, and she's a counselor, and she was like, man, Callie, you know, you can be on the offensive of your life. You don't have to be on the defensive. You don't have to just, like, go wherever the wind blows or wherever people ask you to go. You say yes, and you go there. You can be on the offensive of your life. And I love this because we as believers have a unique calling that God created in us uniquely to do the things he's called us to do. And we can be on the offensive of our life. We can make choices that dictate the ability for us to live out our personal calling. Look, we can choose who we date, which then in turn chooses how we live out our callings. We can choose who we marry. We can choose the jobs that we take. And look, some of you are probably like, well, I'm in a job that I just needed to pay the bills, so I got a job which is good, but you know what? You can choose your attitude within that job. You can choose your purpose within that job. You can begin to see it through a way of, okay, this is where I'm at right now today, so how am I going to be on the offensive and live that this is my calling and be authentic to who God's created me to be? We get to make those choices. We can be on the offensive. Or maybe some of us, without even knowing it, we just do whatever the church asks us to do. Well, I mean, the church asked us to do that, so I'll do this, or the church asked me to do this. Let me tell you, we need more people serving. I'm not going to lie. We need a lot more people serving. But it doesn't mean everyone should be in the kids' ministry, because if you're mean to kids or mean to parents, probably not the best place for you to be, right? What we need is people who know who they are, saying, you know what? I can lead in that area because I know that this is a gift that God has given me. I am called. I have a purpose and a plan in this area, and I'm going to lead in that area because I know that I'm called to do it. We need people living out their callings. But we all go through this. We all go through these times, and I don't think it's just in junior high, but when we begin to realize, like, okay, well, this is what you do, and this is what you don't do, right? Like, this is what's accepted, and this is what's not accepted. And usually it starts happening in childhood. Like, I'll never forget the first time I think I realized, like, I wasn't okay, like, Something was wrong with me. This isn't what's accepted in school. As we were standing in, like, a hallway of our, like, elementary cafeteria, it was, like, girls on one side, boys on the other side, and a little boy from across the hall yelled, Callie looks like a werewolf because I had hairy arms. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So what did I do? I, as a little junior higher, ran home and shaved my arms because I was like, this isn't working. <laughs> like, Obviously, this is not what people want me to be. This is not okay. But we have this in all kinds of areas of our life. After this, after elementary and this time, I then had developed a speech impediment. So I would say things like carpet or torch. 
Like I couldn't say my R's, so they sent me to speech class. And all I had to say over and over again was the word roar, over and over. I had to say like roar, roar, which if you can't say your R's, saying roar is real hard. So I sat in class every day. But you know what happened when I said roar? I got cake. I was like, um, I mean, I went home being like, speech class is the best. Like, they give us cake. Every time I say roar, like, cake is given to us. It was awesome. But I began to, began to learn, okay, well, this is good. This is rewarded. This is how I get cake. I just got to say roar. And then, flash forward to a little bit longer, I think it was high school or late junior high, and we had a girl who lived next to us, and we used to always drive her to school. And our family was really um, going through a lot of hardships. And we knew that her and all of her siblings had lice. We knew that when we decided to pick them up. But my parents, being my parents, we still loaded them all up in our van. And so without many days passing, our van was now full of lice. And I will never forget it. I was sitting in class. And, it came, and my head was itching, and I'm like, oh, my God, those girls gave me lies. Like, this is not good. And no joke, as I'm thinking it, it comes over the intercom. There's going to be lies checks today in the library. And I was like, no, like, not today, not today. And so they take us all to the library, and I'm not making this up. I remember this like it was yesterday. They bring me in. They sit me on this tall stool, and I'm sitting there, and they start being like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, all these other, like, teachers come over and are looking. And they went and shut the library door. And you know those doors in the schools that have, like, the windows in the door? This boy I liked at the time had his little head through looking in that window. And then, I don't know if this is because this is, like, Oklahoma in the 80s or whatever, but this is what they did. They started sticking duct tape into my hair and ripping it out and being like, oh, yeah, see, lice. There's lice on this. And I'll never forget as a little girl looking at that boy that I liked, being like, oh, my gosh. And I ran to the bathroom afterwards. I called my mom, and I remember saying, this isn't working for me. Like, bringing these girls to school isn't working for me. This is embarrassing. Now this has ruined my life. Like, we cannot take these girls to school anymore. But you know what's interesting is that through all of these things, what did I learn? I learned that what's applauded is saying roar. I'll get cake if I say roar. If I just say it, I'll get cake. What's not good is sacrificing for another. Lice is not good. <laughs> Someone else giving me lice, not good. People don't like that. People don't like when I have lice. But people love it when I say roar. But I think often this is what we begin to learn, even within the church and the body of Christ, that performance is good. And sacrifice is bad. And if we aren't careful, we even begin to believe in this lie ourselves. That, well, the church seems to really applaud people with a microphone. Or the church really seems to applaud a performance well done. But there's not a lot of applause sometimes for the sacrifice that we make. But it's interesting because we serve a God who said that what he came to this world not to be served but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom for many. We have to be a people that serve. Jesus teaches, right, that the first will be last and the last will be first. He talks about if you're going to a table to eat and you can sit at the place of honor, take the lowest place. 
And I think some of us were like, well, this is awesome because I'm nobody. So I'm doing pretty good in the kingdom of God. But you know what God's talking about? When you have a choice, when you have a choice to say roar and get cake, when you have the choices in those moments, when you have the ability and the privilege to sit at the front of the table, take the back seat. When you have the ability to actually choose first place, take last place. This is the God that we serve. A God who constantly served. But sometimes it's almost as if the church, we're like, well, if this is how we play church, then we will play church. And I'm talking to myself here. Like, if this is how church has been done, well, then let's just do church that way. If that's how you get your cake within the body of Christ, well, then I will do that thing so that I can get the cake. If saying roar is what is valued, then I will say roar. (laughs) If doing these things is what's valued, then I will do that. But I love it because we serve such a diverse God. A God that is so diverse. And when I look at the church, man, my prayer is that we would be diverse. People of different ethnicities, people with different gifts and callings and purposes, all living them out. Not just a bunch of people eating cake. (laughs) The people who are serving the cake. Who are slicing the cake. (laughs) People with different gifts and callings living out who God has created us to be. I love it. This is what scripture says that the body of Christ, that us as the church, his church, should look like. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 15, it says, Now the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And I love it because it goes on to say in verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I love this because when we are functioning as the body of Christ, you are living out your giftings, I'm living out my giftings, you're doing what God's asked you. You're being an elbow. I'm being an arm. Someone's being a fingernail. Someone's being a toenail. Someone's being an eyebrow. We begin to function in this beautiful, diverse thing that represents the image of our God so well. But what happens often in church is we all just try to become elbows. And then we got an elbow club. And what happens when you have an elbow club? No one wants to come to it unless they're an elbow, right? <laughs> Well, like, I can't go to that club because I'm not an elbow. I'm an eyebrow. So I don't get to go there. But we do this, especially within Christian culture. And we need each one of us living out our gifts and our callings. But you know what that takes? Us actually knowing our gifts and our callings. Who God's created us to be. And look, if you feel a little different today, look, no shame on you. Because I love this verse because it gives room for us to be a little different. It gives room for us to be the girl called werewolf. It gives room for us to maybe look or be a little different because each of us has a unique calling, a unique purpose. We are not all 
elbows. And quite frankly, it's annoying when we try to all become elbows. It doesn't look authentic. It doesn't look real. And no one wants that. We're the body of Christ. Now, look, does it mean we're perfect as we are? No. We continue to grow. We continue to learn. We continue to repent and get closer to the Lord. But there is something unique about each of us. Look, my son loves to play the repeat game. That's like the new thing in our house, and it's obnoxious. So, like, we'll be driving somewhere, and I'll say something, and then it just starts the game. Like, oh, well, you said that. Oh, stop, Luca. Well, stop, Luca. Like, it's this constant, like, and you can't get out of the repeat game. You can't get out of it. Like, because every time, every time I tell him stop, he says, well, stop. Like, it's like a never-ending cycle of repeat game. And the other day I was visiting a church, and this is not to knock that church, but I was like, man, I feel like I'm still in the repeat game. <laughs> Everyone's saying amen the same way. <laughs> like, everyone has the same good phrases for me. And I thought, man, I don't ever want to be that church that it feels like the repeat game. Man, I want us to be a diverse church where you can be you and I can be me, where it's not just cliche phrases and amens all said in the same tone of voice, (laughs) but where we are living as the body of Christ, authentic to who God has created us to be. Man, one of my favorite things about my small group this last trimester was a group of women and seeing them living out who God has called them to be. Look, one of them told stories about cleaning houses and how there was so much prayer happening in these times and families were getting healed and things were happening and people were being employed simply because this lady cleaned with purpose. (laughs) A broom in her hand. She lived out a unique calling that God had placed on her life. Another lady in our small group from our church, she is the crosswalk attendant for the school. And she began to notice when people weren't crossing the street. She began to pray for them. People that were suspended, she saw coming back now across the street. Her just living out her authentic calling. Look, I'm a crosswalk lady. How am I going to do this for the glory of God? Man, that is when the church begins to be powerful. When people begin to live out their callings, when you're a chef, so you cook for people and you serve people in that way, you encourage them, you make them feel so loved. When Sarah, who's our children's pastor, she's also a yoga instructor, which a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their minds around, but it's who God's called her to be. And her telling stories of her in the elementary schools doing yoga before classes and her seeing children who have just come out of chaos take a minute to calm down. And the stories that are coming out of what's happening in those schools, let me tell you, a lot of those stories are much bigger than what we're seeing here. But I love it because that is a person living out their calling every single day, and the body of Christ is shining because people know who they are, and they are living it out. TD meets with a cohort of pastors. I think I can tell this story. (laughs) I mean, I hope so. telling it. Anyway. Um... (laughs) And uh, they have these different groups, and if you have been in leadership long at the church, I'm sure you've experienced something like this, but, I mean, I've experienced it. But a girl came to one of the leaders and said, man, I just really feel like God's called me to start a hula hoop group. And the pastors were laughing because it's like, oh, my God, that girl, like, sweet hula hoop girl, okay, uh, here we go, right? Like, sure, go for it. And so she did. And now they're seeing like thousands of people across the nations coming to the Lord through a hula hoop ministry. But that's awesome. 
Because some girl had the boldness to live out who God had created her to be and just do it <laughs> for the glory of God. That's not a bunch of elbow status. That's like hula hoop girl doing her thing. Right? That's people that are just riding in cars and getting lice. Crosswalk attendants. Doing what God's asked them to be. Praying over students. People who are cleaning homes and believing for more for these families. And employing other people who need jobs. This is the body of Christ doing what it's called to do. The other day I was praying for Ponca City. And I just began to see a beautiful picture of people who I know just lights planted all over the city. And I was like, man, God, this is how we're going to change the city. It's not inviting everyone in here, which, hey, I'm all for, obviously, we're pastors. But I want to see this city transformed. And this is how the city is going to be transformed, by all of us going to Walmart with a purpose and a mission, knowing who we're called to be and living it out. Us going to our workplaces and our jobs and doing it with our purpose and our authentic calling. Look, we don't have to wait for permission or a platform to do what God has already asked us to do. So many of us wait for church events to happen. Well, if the church would just put it on their calendar, well, how about we just go do it? How about we as the body of Christ begin to live out our purposes and our callings and we personally begin to win people to Jesus because you and me equally have the authority of the Lord to go forth, to do the good things that he's created us to do. Man, the world needs you. The world needs you. In the scripture, it says that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When the toenail doesn't want to be a toenail, we all suffer. The world needs you. Me and TD were reading statistics the other day, and it said that 82% of people come to church. Why? Because their friend invited them. The world needs you. The way this church will grow, you inviting people. The next stat that is said in the book that we were reading is 2% of Christians actually invite people to church. So let's just say this again. 82% of people will actually say yes if their friend invites them. 2% of us actually invite people. And I was so taken back by this, like, can that actually be true? But then I started thinking in my own life, right? And I think we can all be a little shocked by that circumstance. But when was the last time you did? You reached out to a friend. You took the offensive step, not just waited for them to come to you. But you on the offensive said, hey, let me live out authentically who I'm called to be. I want to bring you into this. And not in a weird, weird way. An authentic, real way. The world needs you. You matter. You have purpose. In 1 Samuel, we're just going to read a story of David and Goliath. And many of us have heard this story or know this story. But I love the image it gives it for the uniqueness that God has placed on our lives. So we're going to start at 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. It should be up. Thank you. Um, okay, it says this. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So basically, Goliath is coming. And David said, look, if no one wants to fight him... I will go fight Goliath. 
who was a giant. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion, sorry, both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And I love this because here we have David saying, hey, I'll go fight. And Saul, a leader, <laughs> says, meh, you don't really look like an elbow, right? This is like an elbow thing we're doing. You, not so much. But I love it because David's like, look, I'm a shepherd. I can kill a, a giant. And it's so fun to me because he's like, look, I've killed lions and tigers and bears, right? I can kill a giant. He gave his resume of what God had done, who he was, who God had created him to be. And now a time was coming where there was an enemy that was defying the armies of God and someone needed to beat it. Someone needed to kill the giant. And here David is saying, me, because I was created for this. Look at my resume. And it goes on to say, so Saul said to David, well, go and the Lord be with you. I love it. It's almost like he's like, okay, well, good luck. <laughs> then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. I love it because this is what leaders love to do. Anyway, Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic, tried walking around because he was not used to them. Basically, David's like, hey, Saul, here's my resume. Look what I've done. Look, I think I'm capable of defeating this giant because of who God's gifted me to be. And Saul's like, okay, but here, put my armor on. Okay, but here, do it the way I did it. Because this is what seems to work. This is what we've seen done before. This is how I've always known it to work. So, like, put on my armor. And I love it because David starts trying to walk around because he's just not used to it. Like, this doesn't feel like me. Like, I'm wobbly. I'm younger than you, Saul. Like, this armor is too big and too heavy for me. And then I love it because David knew who he was enough to say, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. I love it because David knew if I go out trying to defeat this Goliath in someone else's armor, I'm going to die. And I see it all the time in church, people so burn out. People hurting and dying because they're trying to just say roar and get the cake. And why is nobody giving me the cake? <laughs> right? Why is no one thanking me for what I did? But there's something so crazy when we begin to live out who we authentically are called to be. Man, we become so capable. We're not dying. We know, like, look, I can go out and defeat the enemy wearing my clothes doing what God's called me to do. And I'm not going to die. I'm not going to get burned out because it's authentic to what God has called me to do. I cannot go in these, he said. And then it goes on in verse 40. Then he took his staff. I love it. He takes off the armor, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, 
With his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Man, I love this. He took off the armor that didn't fit him. Someone else is calling. No, look, I'm not an elbow. We're taking that off. I don't even know how to use a sword. (laughs) But what did he do? He picked up who God had created him to be. He picked it up and said, I'll still fight. And sometimes some of us, we we are quick to take it off. But what are you picking up? What are you picking up? Because we've got an enemy that needs defeated. There's a battle at hand, so we don't get to just take off the armor because it doesn't fit right. It doesn't look good, right? We don't like how it feels. It's too heavy. We've got to pick something up. And I think we read this story sometimes, or especially even in Sunday school, and we're just taught, like, the little kid defeated a big, bad giant. But the reality is David knew what he was doing with the slingshot. He had studied the slingshot. He had mastered this slingshot. He knew what the stones were. He knew what kind of stones he needed to get. He knew what he was going into battle for. This wasn't just some young, naive kid who's like, oh, I think I'll pick up some stones. No, this was a guy who had been working on his craft. And when the time came, when there was an enemy, he was confident, I can defeat him. And he was able to take off Saul's armor because he knew he was good at something else. We as the body of Christ cannot get lazy. Who has God called you to be? And are you mastering that today? Look, if God's called you to speak, are you taking speaking classes? Are you learning and growing and developing who God has called you to be? If you're an artist, if you're creative, if you're a chef, what are you doing to say, God, develop this in me more so that I can defeat giants for you? Because David was ready when the time came. What if he hadn't been preparing? He was ready. So he picked up his slingshot and his smooth stones. And he went to the Philistine. He put on who God had created him to be. And then it goes on. It says, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you could come at me with sticks? Man, I love this. Because he was like, oh, that kid. He doesn't look like an elbow. That kid? That kid's going to defeat me, and I love it. Because this is what happens so often, but many of us get discouraged when other people don't see our strength. Look, believe me, I am a woman pastor, People get up and leave the room almost every time I speak. I hear about it. I get emails about it constantly. I have friends that think I'm sinning because I'm up here on stage right now. I get it. I get other people not understanding who God has called you to be. And here we have David running in, risking his life for people, and he's being laughed at. Like, oh, you you think you're going to defeat me. He was despised because why would you send me a young boy coming at me with sticks? But I love it because the power of God was behind him. And David didn't make it about himself. He goes on to say to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin. Like basically like, I know you're laughing. I see what you're coming at me with. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
I love it because David went in with his craft that he had mastered, that he knew who he was, he knew how he was going to defeat the giant, but in the end, it was all about the Lord's power. Look, we can love our own callings. Sarah could be an awesome yoga instructor and see great things happening, and it could be an idol. I'm not saying it is in her life. We just used that example earlier. We could be the best guitar player on the worship team, and it be an idol in your life, not a weapon in your hand. You could be the best singer, the best speaker, the best whatever your gift is, and it can be an idol and not a weapon. We have to be a people who say, God, I will master this craft, but it is only through your power and through your grace that it is possible. When we begin to glorify our callings, well, you see, I'm unique, and I'm gifted, and I'm amazing, and look at me, and look at how good I am, and I've mastered this craft. It becomes an idol. We have to be a people who know who we are, who are confident, but our confidence and our calling is founded only in Jesus. Look, I love it because when creation begins to live out who they are called to be, it brings glory to the creator. When a beautiful painting is beautiful, you know what it does? It makes the painter get credit. When the body of Christ functions in all of our different parts, the diversity of God is exemplified, is glorified. The creator gets credit. It goes on to say, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Look, there's a lot of Goliaths in the world. If the worship team wants to come up as we close, look, there's a lot of Goliaths in the world. A lot of Goliaths of different shapes, of different sizes, (laughs) different contexts. Enemies who seek to destroy. Maybe seek to destroy your family, workplaces, our city. And some of those giants are going to require Saul's, and some of those giants are going to require David's. Some of them need people with swords, and some of these things need people with stones and a sling. Some of them need shepherds, and some of them need kings. But we all have a part to play. We all have to be in on the game. Look, you have a story, a gift, a heritage, a journey thus far, just like David. And when you look back, what can you say God has done? And how can we begin to sharpen those things so that when the enemy comes, it requires us, we are ready. And look, for some of you, it may be look like being a business leader. Man, you know that God's gifted you in those areas of administration and leading and entrepreneurship. And you're like, man, I'm going to do this for the glory of God. And you know what you're defeating? If you can get your purpose right in it. You're defeating the enemies of depression in our city, of unemployment. You're giving value to a place where people need jobs. You're defeating the enemy when he would want to suck the value out of people. You can come in and say, hey, I know my slingshot. Maybe for some of us, it's yard work or cleaning homes and praying for people and serving people as we do it and defeating this enemy who has began to speak lies that no one will help you. No one's there for you. And then we can come in with our weapon and say, hey, actually, I'll serve you. Actually, I will walk with you through this. Maybe some of us, your life story is one where you've mastered and conquered through God's help addictions. And you can come in and say, you know what? I'm going to defeat 
the Goliath of addiction in our city because I'm going to start living out my calling because look what God has done in my life. Look, we can't all do that. We don't all have that weapon in our tool belt. We need you. We need people with a calling, with a purpose, with a story who can come in and say, these are the tools I have in my tool belt. There aren't a lot of them, but here they are. So when that enemy comes, I'm ready. What is your slingshot today? Can we take inventory of what God's done in our lives and begin to develop it? Look, there were three things a long time ago or throughout my life that God has spoken to me are my weapons throughout my life. And one of them is my voice. But I began to work on it and I began to pray a lot about, Lord, when I speak, what Goliaths am I defeating? Who have you called me to defeat? And when I was speaking at camps a couple of weeks ago, I felt like the Lord even honed it in a little bit. He said, you know what? When you defeat the most giants is when you're vulnerable, Callie. And people sometimes don't like it when I'm vulnerable because people always don't know what to do when someone on stage talks about anxiety or depression or all of these things, right? But I've watched as I use my voice and am vulnerable, I've watched literally the enemy fall on his knees because he doesn't recognize that. He doesn't know what to do when someone with a mic gets really vulnerable. But we all have those things. What is your weapon today? What is the weapon that you can go out into our city next week and say, look, my voice is my weapon and this is how I'm going to use it and we can be intentional. Maybe your voice, or maybe it's not your voice or it's a different weapon, but how can you use it this week? And for some of us, maybe we have a hard time knowing what our weapon is and we need to just get serious about actually studying ourselves. Maybe we need to start journaling and figuring out what God's done in our life so we can start seeing the patterns of who God's created us to be. But maybe some of us, we just really know what's heavy. We know the armor that we're wearing that just is not a good fit. We know the places where we're really discouraged. And it's not discouraged. Look, this week has been discouraging for me in TD. I'm not going to lie. But I love it because it's been discouraging in a way where we know that the enemy's mad at us. And there is that, one, there's that feeling where, like, this is discouraging, and I don't know how many more hits we can take but man, I feel like the enemy is angry. And then there's the discouragement where you know that it's like self-inflicted discouragement. You've said yes to too many things. You've not had boundaries. You're doing things you're not called to do. You're living in a place where it wasn't who God's asked you to live. You're doing things out of like obligation and not out of God actually asking it of you. That's what I'm talking about today, those things that are heavy that aren't our armor to wear, aren't our expectations, and we just need to take them off today and be okay with being David. Be okay with being who God's created us to be. So God, we thank you this morning, Lord, that you are good, that you are faithful. Lord, I just pray for every person in the room. Lord, and even though this may seem like a simple message, God, I pray that we would never stop wanting to be Davids for you. Lord, that we would never stop wanting to pick up our slingshot and go defeat enemies in the name of Jesus. Lord, that we would care about addiction in our city. Lord, that we would care about the poverty we see within our city. Lord, we would care about people in the foster system. And Lord, it would break our hearts 
So Lord, I pray that this week you would begin to speak to us of how we can use our unique calling to make an impact in the city and in our world and in our families. Lord, I thank you that as we go forth this week, that we're going to start knocking down some Goliaths in the city. So Lord, we thank you for that. I pray your power, your anointing, your blessing over each person in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.